Hi guys, this is Cliff Knight from Equippers International. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We want to lift up Jesus and provide a place where you can be taught the truth and encouraged in your relationship with Him. If you find this podcast helpful, feel free to share it with others. We believe it will be a source of blessing and encouragement and that you'll be strengthened in your relationship with Jesus. Hello, welcome to the Equippers International Podcast. We are studying the book of Romans and we've made our way through the introduction of the salutation or the prologue of the book in proper New Testament, first century letter writing. Paul greets his audience. He introduces himself, but he packs his prologue in Romans with some very great deep truths and we've looked at those in the last few episodes and so we're going to move into really the content proper of the letter today let me read verses 8 through 10 those are going to be our focus for this episode he says first i thank my god through jesus christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world for god whom i serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son is my witness of how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you now remember that the church in Rome is a church that Paul has never set his eyes on as far as we know in Paul's lifetime he's never visited Rome it's something that God's put in his heart he wants to go there he wants to be with this church he wants to spend time there and as God's will will have it in Paul's life he will end up in Rome and we know from the book of Acts that he was at least in Rome for two years in what's called a house arrest he was in prison he was in prison for a while, but then he was given his own rented quarters. It's kind of like he was given his own Airbnb, and he could live there, but he was under house arrest until he sat for trial under the Emperor Nero, in which ultimately he was beheaded for as a martyr of the gospel. But he does make it to Rome, but in the writing of this letter, he'd never been to Rome. We talked about earlier in the introductory episode about his relationship with Priscilla and Aquila, who were from Rome. It's probably his primary source of information about what's happening in the Roman church. And so he's writing this letter, and the first thing he does, he literally says in verse 8, First, I thank my God. So the first thing he wants to do is he wants to express his thankfulness for this church and for their faith and for the reputation of their faith, which he says is going out into the whole world. I'm going to comment on that little phrase, the whole world, in just a minute. But first, I want to focus on really a insight or a little window, I call it, into Paul's heart as a man. You know, I get to teach a lot, and I love teaching Paul's letters. It's one of the, the things that I enjoy the most. And Paul has quite a reputation with people. You know, there's lots of opinions about what type of man Paul was. And I get everything from he was a great spiritual giant to he was sexist and a bigot and was inflammatory and controversial. And so I get everything from every extreme when I talk to people and I teach on Paul. But there are things that pop up in Paul's letters, really, that I call windows into his soul. They reflect the heart of the man. And this is one of those passages. We're going to also see it in tomorrow's episode as we work our way deeper into these verses. You know, there's just times when you see Paul's heart 
for people that is undeniable that he carried something authentic and deep and real because he makes these comments that he thanks God and he unceasingly makes mention of them always in his prayers. There's something I've learned over my lifetime, especially in my life of ministry. People don't take time to pray for other people unless they genuinely care. And for a man to say that he unceasingly makes mention of them before God, these are people he's never even met, not to mention those that he has worked with. And he says in many other letters as well that he prays for them. So this gives me a a snapshot into Paul's heart and into his life that he is a praying man that he carries love and concern, compassion and care for his readers of his letters. It's not just an empty, perfunctory relationship. It is a heartfelt thing because when you pray and when you pray to the extent that you can say you unceasingly make mention of someone before the Lord, that means that you really carry them in your heart. And that just gives me a beautiful snapshot, if you will, into Paul's heart as a man and as a minister of the gospel. And so it's just this beautiful pastoral heart that comes out in some of Paul's sections of his letters that I think should inform us about really the the heart of the man. Now, I know he says many heavy things at times, but all that should be filtered through this perspective of how much care and concern he carries in his heart for people. And that's reflected in the way that he prays for them. Because the way you pray for somebody is truly going to be a reflection of how much you love them and care for them. So I wanted to make those comments about Paul in general. Now, he says this statement in verse 8 that he thanks God because their faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, this is a pretty radical statement if you take it on a literal level. But I just want to make a couple of comments about our understanding of this word, the world. It's a big word in Scripture. In the Greek, in the New Testament, it's the word cosmos. And it's used some 250 plus times in the New Testament. It's on the lips of Jesus and all the apostles because it's this very kind of broad sweeping term that has lots of different meanings. First, it obviously means this globe of uh, solid earth that we're living on that's spinning through space and time. And that's what we call the world. But really, more specifically, the use of the word world goes more in line with the idea of the influence or the the sphere in the domain in which we live. It's this idea that Jesus can speak about when he says, you are the light of the world. Obviously, we're not light that illuminates the world that we live in. The sun does that. But we're a light within the world. And so the idea of the world is more the idea of the space and area and sphere in which man lives. And so we have the philosophies and the wisdom of the world. We have the influence of the world. It's a way of thinking. It's more of a abstract concept. It's this area in which there is this cosmic battle that's going on. So the world kind of carries this whole idea. Paul says that he boasts nothing in the cross of Christ because through the cross he's crucified to the world and the world is crucified to him. 
uh, other New Testament writers uh, encourage us to come out of the world. And so this, this, it's this area of influence. It's this area that carries with it a lot of really negativity in the perspective of the New Testament writers. But in this specific instance, Paul says that the faith of the Romans is being proclaimed throughout the world. Now, his reference here would have to do more in that first reference to the world that I mentioned in that it's the physical earth ball that we live on. And in saying that, Paul is not necessarily saying that the testimony of their faith is being proclaimed to every single place on earth. He's saying, like many ancient people would say, is that the whole world, quote, is basically their level of understanding of where human life exists. So the world to them probably was that area of Jerusalem and the Promised Land and Asia Minor and across to Greece and as far reaching as Rome. He knew that there was some place called Spain that he was wanting to go to. But Paul probably didn't have an understanding and a grasp of how geographically large the world was. So he can use this terminology of their faith being proclaimed throughout his whole known earth. It's not the whole world. The reason I'm focusing on this is because this bleeds over into some other issues of interpretation of Scripture, especially when we start looking at important references in regards to eschatology and the end times. And the New Testament writers talk about the world in different ways than we would talk about the world. You know, we live in the day and age where because of social media and because of the internet and technology, the world is small. And we can say the world, the whole world, in that general sense of the whole inhabited earth. But the New Testament writers didn't have that perspective. Their world was a very small world. And so that means that when they were communicating this idea of world, it is a more limited idea than we would think of. So I think it's just important for us to understand that when the New Testament writers make mention of the world, they're not making mention of the whole inhabited earth. They're making mention of their understanding or their experienced world in which they live. You know, Paul does the same things in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world. So Paul says the gospel has gone out into all the world. Well, it had not probably reached South Africa by the time Paul was writing the letters. It had probably not reached India or far reaches of Asia or America or Canada. So he's not saying that the gospel has gone to the whole world. He said it's gone to his whole known world. So I just wanted to comment on that because it will come to play in other areas of interpretation. Maybe we won't get into it in the book of Romans, but as you continue to study the scriptures, it's just kind of a pointer and a little advice when we read certain terms that we get the New Testament writers understanding of that term and not project our modern understanding of the term. So Paul goes on to say, he serves God in verse 9 in his spirit in the gospel of his son. 
I love this. This is the last comment I want to make today. There's a lot of different ideas of what it means to serve the Lord. And I know there's practical expressions of serving the Lord in ministry and using our gifts and blessing people and encouraging people, maybe teaching them, providing for them. There's all kinds of expressions of ministry that take place in what we call serving the Lord. And this comment that Paul makes about serving the Lord in his spirit in the gospel of God. There's just something very rich there. There's something very deep that touches me. And, you know, we don't place a lot of importance and emphasis about serving the Lord in our spirit. You know, what is happening inside of our hearts, inside of our spirit man on a daily basis, how we walk out our relationship with God, What does our devotional life to him look like? What is visible in the external about serving the Lord in our spirits? Probably not a lot. People are not able to observe us serving the Lord in our spirit, but God is able to see the service that we give him in our spirit. And so I just think it's a rich thing to contemplate on about our own serving the Lord. Where is our service of the Lord And I want to encourage us that it needs to be primarily in our spirit. We need to be serving the Lord. We need to be worshiping him. We need to be praying. We need to be meditating. We need to be fellowshipping with him in the spirit, in our spirit. This is a daily process. This is a relational process where our spirits are fellowshipping with his spirit. And there's something beautiful and rich that takes place as we serve the Lord in our spirit. We will serve the Lord externally. It will manifest in some way where we physically interact with people through some expression of serving. But primarily, first of all, most importantly, we need to serve the Lord in our spirit. So I want to encourage you with these thoughts today. Be prayerful for those that you love and serve God in your spirit today. Make him Lord, sanctify him in your heart and show service unto him in the secret place in your life personally, privately, intimately, and it will make all the difference to any subsequent expression of service unto the Lord in the lives of other people. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more.